0: you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 22. We're going to be continuing in Acts today. Um, I hope you've been with us over the last several weeks because basically Acts uh, end of 20, 21, 22, all the way to the first 11 verses really of 23 is all one narrative, it's all one story and we're kind of taking it piece by piece and and working with it as we go. Today we're going to begin in Acts chapter 22 um, and this is Paul's speech to the mob in Uh, the temple court of Jerusalem that just attacked him and tried to kill him. Uh, We'll talk more about kind of bringing you up to speed of where we're at as we get into it. Um, But what we're going to be talking about is being prepared to make a defense. That's what Paul is going to do today. So before we look at Acts chapter 22, I want you to read with me 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. We'll come back to this at the end of the sermon as well. Uh, and make sure you get this in your brain and kind of walk, walk uh, through Paul's speech with this in mind. Uh, Peter's talking to Christians who are enduring suffering for the name of Christ and going through all kinds of trials. And it says, Peter says to them, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's the first command. And the second is always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet to do it with gentleness and with respect. So there are two commands in that verse that you see. First is to honor the Lord as holy, to set the Lord apart as holy in your heart, to set Him apart as Lord in all of your life. And the second is to be prepared. To be prepared to make a defense. Be prepared to tell of this hope that you have in Jesus. The reason we read this before we go into Paul's um, defense before the crowd in Jerusalem is because this is something that we are going to see from Paul in the rest of the book of Acts. We're beginning chapter 22 today. There's, including 22, there's seven more chapters. And it covers about four years of Paul's life as a prisoner uh, of Rome. He's going to be going to go through several different trials, if you want to call them that. He's going to bear witness before several uh, different rulers, different kings all the way to Rome, and through it all, he stands boldly, consistently giving a defense for the gospel hope that is within him. And today in chapter 22 of Acts, we're going to look at the first of those Defenses. He's giving a defense before the violent Jewish mob in the temple courts that just attacked him. So if you, if you weren't here last week or in the last few sermons as we've come up to this point in Acts, let me, let's kind of do a review to get us all up to speed before we uh, launch off into the text. So Paul arrived in Jerusalem. Remember, it was the Holy Spirit, he said, constrained him to go to Jerusalem. He was going to bear witness there knowing that uh, afflictions and imprisonments awaited him. All the people in the churches on the way told him, don't go, but he went anyway, and once he was... In Jerusalem, the leaders of the Jerusalem Church, James and the elders of the Jerusalem Church, asked him to help keep unity among the Jews and among the Jewish Christians by submitting himself to this uh, purification ritual in the temple. He was to go there with these four guys that had taken a vow, and needed to shave their heads and all that kind of stuff. Um, and while he was doing that, uh, last week in our text it said, "What when the seven days were almost complete." He is recognized in the temple courts, and a mob attacks him and tries, quite literally, to beat him to death. Now, there were two accusations that incited this mob, if you remember them from last week in Acts 21-28. It said, men of Israel, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people, against the Jews, against the law, and against this place, meaning the temple. That was one accusation. And the second one was moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And we went into quite some detail last week about what those accusations uh, meant and what it meant for them. But when the crowd hears these accusations, they just mob him. They grab him, they drag him out of the inner court of the temple to the outer court, and they start beating him to death. And at the end of chapter 21, his life is saved. You remember who he was saved by? The Romans. Good. All right. We're doing good. So his life was saved by the Romans. They intervened to stop the mob. They didn't care about Paul. They just didn't want any riots going on. And Paul asks the commander of the Roman garrison there in Jerusalem, as he's being brought back up the steps, he asks him if he could speak to the mob. And what we did is we looked at all that text last week. We saw really Paul's viewpoint of all of these events that had been going on. Paul understood that all of these painful events had led him to this moment. God had called him to be a witness, and that's what he desired to do. He didn't desire to escape or get away. He asked the Roman commander, will you please let me speak to them? And that's what he's going to do. So as we read this, let's just read the first 16 verses. We're going to go all the way through 21, but to start us off, we'll get through 16 verses of Paul's speech. The commander lets him speak, and he stands up before this mob, and this is what he says. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death binding and delivering to prison both men and women. There it is. (laughs) As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I guess my clicker's out of batteries. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling upon his name. Let's stop there for right now. Let's pray. God, we do love you and we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would just be with us as we are... Looking at your text today, God, we pray that you would tell us what you would have us to know and that it would be your message to our hearts today, God. Help us to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we examine, we're going to walk back through these. We're going to go verse by verse, as we always do. Um, But as we examine Paul's testimony to the crowd, his defense to the crowd, I want you to be watching for two things. I want you to pay attention throughout this speech for two things. The first is that Paul is showing with the things that he says throughout this defense that the charges against him are false. He's not against Israel. Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant promises. So he is not preaching or nor has he been preaching against Israel as they have accused him of being. Uh, it was Israel's God, Israel's Lord that sent Paul himself to the Gentiles. And the second thing I want you to be watching for is what we're seeing here is is how Paul bears witness to Christ by giving his personal testimony of salvation, by telling what Jesus has done in his life. Now, not all believers are gifted in speaking the way that the Apostle Paul was gifted, but all believers have a story, a witness, and it's always made up of, of three parts. Life before Christ... Life transformed by Christ through the gospel, and a new life of following Jesus. So those are the things we're going to look at as we walk through this, and Paul speaks to the Jews in the temple courts. Are you with me? Okay, close enough. The first thing he shows is his life before Christ. And his introduction, just when he begins speaking, it it really boggles my mind. I mean, this crowd was just actively beating him to death. Just now, it hadn't been a day, it hadn't been an hour, just now. They were just beating him to death and he was dragged away by the Romans and now he's speaking to them and he says, brothers and fathers, he addresses them with gentleness and respect. He calls them brothers and fathers. He doesn't seem angry or frustrated with them. He doesn't let on anyway. He doesn't accuse them or belittle them. He doesn't say, here the accusation I have against you who tried to kill me because of a lie. He says brothers and fathers in the most respectful way possible, it seems. He addresses them as brothers and fathers. He addresses them in the Hebrew language, which is going to be important in a minute. And even in the introduction, we can see he still sees himself as part of the Jewish nation. They are his brothers and his father's. And he begins by just recounting his life before his encounter with Christ. In verse 3, he says, Look, I'm a Jew, and I was born in Tarsus, but I was raised here in Jerusalem in this city. And it would have been a very, very big deal to the, to the Jews there in Jerusalem that he was educated by Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the most famous and eminent teachers of that time, the leader of the school of Hillel, which was a pharisaical school that trained Pharisees. It would have been like standing before, uh, I don't know, a group of businessmen and saying, I went to Harvard, you know, it would have been, it would have been very impressive to them to hear that. So Paul was letting him know, letting them all know this guy that you just tried to beat, he I, I was trained from my youth, he would say, in the strict manner of the law, as a Pharisee, observing the law. They need to know that the Apostle Paul here. He's not a man who's confused about the Jewish law or ignorant about the law of Moses or the traditions of Israel or all the things they're accusing him of. In fact, he probably has more thorough knowledge of it all than any of the people there in the crowd. He was trained as a Pharisee to follow it strictly, and he did. But not just that. In verse 3, it says that he was zealous. He says, I was zealous for the law. I was zealous for God. And he says, just as all of you are here this day. He was zealous for God. He was zealous for everything that the law prohibited. He was zealous for everything the law commanded. He was zealous to live by the traditions of Israel. Why? Because he was zealous for God. And he even implies, which is is also crazy to me, that zeal for God was the reason that this crowd had mobbed him and grabbed him and was trying to beat him. He says to them, I am zealous for God as all of you are here this day. Paul is telling them, I used to be just like you. I am one of you. And in verse 4 and 5, he said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison, not just men, but both men and women. And he says... I, used to, I, I wanted them to die. I, I wanted to, to kill them, persecuted it to death, he says. Just like you want my death today because you're wanting this way, the Christian way, to be gone. He said, I did that. I hunted them, both men and women. I delivered them over to be put in prison. And you don't have to take my word for it, he says in verse 5. The high priests and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. They, your leaders, the Jewish leaders, the people you look up to, the people who are ruling this nation, they, they can testify to what the man I used to be. I received letters from them to the, uh, to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. They can testify that I was good at my job as persecutors. They can bear witness that they gave me authority to go to Damascus and imprison Christians that I found in the synagogues there. Paul is telling this crowd I was just as you are now. I know what it means to be zealous for God, zealous for the law, zealous for the traditions of Israel. I know what it means to be just like you are now and want to seek the death of those you believe are defiling all these things. In fact, I was ten times worse than you because I was hunting them down. I didn't just come across them in the temple. I was going to find them. Paul begins his defense here where every testimony begins. The life that he used to live before Christ. The life characterized by sin and wickedness. Now, before we get too far into Paul's testimony, Paul's defense, let's address a wrong idea that many have about their testimony for Christ, their witness for Christ. Some people think that to have an effective witness or a powerful witness or a meaningful testimony, it requires that you had to have lived an extraordinarily wicked life before Jesus saved you. I know a pastor... This is actually a true story. I know a pastor who was awakened in the middle of the night by the police. Um, they knocked on his door, and when he came to the door, they said, we have your daughter in custody. You know, um, And uh, th- they knew him. It was a small town, so they were going to let her go, to, you know, but they wanted him to come out. And when he walked out of the house, the police let her out of the police car, and the first words out of her mouth was, Daddy, I know what you're going to say, but think about how good my testimony is going to be. Yeah, he didn't didn't think it was that funny either. Sometimes people who come to Christ at an early age or people raised in a Christian home and live by uh, Judeo-Christian values, you know, their whole life before coming to Christ, they they just don't think their testimony is that effective or that meaningful they say, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a murderer and I wasn't a persecutor. I didn't drink or smoke or hang out with those who do. I wasn't an addict. I wasn't a criminal. I wasn't any of these things. I was just, you know, my parents raised me right and I was basically morally good as best I could be the whole time and I just came to Christ. I don't really have a very good testimony. But that is a misunderstanding of sin and the gospel. The Bible says that all have sin, means everyone, even those who are are striving to live a quote-unquote good life. Often, the hardest lost people to reach are people who are living morally good lives. You know what I mean by good. There is none that is good, but they're living upstanding lives. Why? Because, because it's harder to see your need. It's harder to see the need for salvation. They might say, you know, they might think, I, I'm already good. I'm already doing good. I'm already doing the best I can, living a moral life. I'm already doing all I can to please God. Those people need to hear your testimony, too. They need to hear that even though you were good, you were still lost and condemned in your sin. They need to hear the truth of the gospel that good is not good enough. You must be perfect before a holy God, and only Jesus can do that for you. So no matter what your background, no matter what you came out of, whether it was horrendously wicked and evil, or whether it was just morally good and a good raising, a good family, never got in trouble, never did too much anything bad, people need to hear your testimony that you were lost and undone without Christ in the world, separated from a holy God. There was a time in your life, if you're a believer here today, listen to me, there was a time in your life before Christ when you were lost and you were without hope in the world. I don't care how good you've been your whole life, there was a time. People need to hear that. They need to see their need. So Paul begins where every testimony must begin, where every defense for the hope that lies within you must begin with your life before Christ. And then he tells them about his life that's transformed by Christ. And he relates the the road to Damascus experience that we went over in, in Acts chapter 9. Paul shows his conversion from being a persecutor to a follower of Jesus. Now, we went in depth in this event when it happened back in Acts chapter 9. So I'm not going to go back into all of those details. But Paul relates this here to the crowd to show how Jesus transformed his life. His conversion from, from persecutor to preacher... It wasn't from his own desire or his own initiative. It wasn't because he was unhappy with the Jewish law or the temple or the traditions of Israel. It wasn't because he thought he might gain some honor or glory or money or anything out of that. Converting to Christ would bring the opposite of that. He was transformed through an encounter with Jesus Christ, he was transformed through an encounter with the living Messiah of Israel. And this encounter, it broke Paul. It humbled him. It blinded him. And it shook him to his core. In verse 10 it says, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Look at verse 11. And since I could not see... You remember back in Acts 9? It blinded him. Since I could not see because of the brightness of the light... I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Paul, the great persecutor of Christians, the great Hebrew of Hebrews, had to be helped into Damascus because he was blind and helpless. And we know from chapter nine, Acts chapter 9, he stays there in his blindness for three days before Jesus sends Ananias to him. He had three days of darkness. To sit there and remember all of the wickedness that he'd done, all the sin that he'd done, all the things that he had done wrong against the Lord of glory. This is what happens when any sinner encounters Jesus Christ. Now granted, most don't encounter Christ the same way that Paul did, but when the Spirit of God brings the gospel alive in the heart of a person, there's always a recognition of sin, always a conviction of sin. The humble and convicting realization of one's unrighteousness before a holy God. That's part of the gospel. Jesus said in John 16, When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is what an encounter with Jesus looks like. looks like conviction of sin. As the light shines, it reveals all the dark places within us. As we walk in the light, we're continually seeing the dark places within us that we must repent of. This is the work of the Spirit of God. And it's hard. It's hard to accept that. It's hard to not fight against that, defend ourselves against that, try to justify our sin. It's difficult. I remember years and years ago, I remember a family brought me their, I don't know, it was five or six-year-old daughter and said that she had just gotten saved and she wanted to be baptized. And of course, I'm rejoicing with them. Well, praise God. That's, that's wonderful. You know, that's, that's great. And, and I asked the little girl, I said, can you tell me what sin is? And her eyes got really big. And she says, oh, it's something very, very bad. I said, yes, it certainly is. And she really couldn't articulate what sin was. I mean, she's just a little girl. So I would help her. I would say, okay, let's. Go through some of the commandments, you know. This is a commandment to honor your father and mother and to never tell a lie. Just walk through those things. And I said, have you done any of those things ever? And she said, oh no, I would never do anything like that. (laughs) And I looked at her mom and dad and I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't think that she's ready just yet. And they left the church. It's hard. It's difficult. But conviction is part of an encounter with the risen Jesus. He shows us His glory, and by that glory we see the wickedness of our sin and the law. But I want you to also hear this. Conviction of sin alone is not the gospel. Paul goes on, not just to describe his humbling and his blindness and how his encounter with Jesus left him left him weak and useless, he goes on to describe how Jesus saved him and how Jesus redeemed him. After breaking Paul, Jesus used a man named Ananias to restore him. You remember in Acts chapter 9, Jesus actually appeared to Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street. There's a man named Saul there. He's going to be there. And Ananias says, oh, I don't want to go. I know that guy. He's a persecutor. So Jesus sends Ananias to him. And Paul says to this crowd, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight. And I saw him. Paul goes on to describe his restoration of his sight. And here's another proof before this crowd that the accusations you accused me of, Paul might say, are just not true. The man who, the first contact I had after this encounter with Christ was a Jewish man, a devout man according to the law. It's not one who rejected or rebelled against the law. And it was one who was well spoken of by the Jews who lived there in Damascus. He had a good reputation. Jesus restored Paul's sight through a devout Jew who followed Jesus. Not some rebel against the law of God or the traditions of Israel. And it was through Ananias that the gospel was given to Paul. This is what Ananias said to him. And Ananias said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, which is an Old Testament term for the Messiah, and to hear a voice from His mouth. That's what happened on the road to Damascus. He saw the righteous one. He heard the righteous one speak to Him. And this is why, verse 15, For, because... You will be a witness for Him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. He saw the righteous one. He heard the righteous one. Now go tell what you've seen and heard. And He says to them, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling upon His name. That, that detail's not in Acts chapter 9. That's what Paul adds here. So the Lord sends Ananias to Paul and He tells him, basically, God appointed you. God chose you, appointed you to see the righteous one, to hear his voice on the road to Damascus. And he says, Israel's Messiah had chosen you. And not for just anything, to be a witness. Do you see it in verse 15? You will be, this is why, he he appointed you to to see him and to hear him so that you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And then Ananias gives him what I think is the gospel presentation. He tells him in verse, um, at the end of verse 15 or 16, 15, whatever verse that is, he says, Now, why, why are you waiting? What are you sitting around for? Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling upon his name. Calling upon the name of the Lord, meaning the name of Jesus. Calling on His name is another way to say trusting in Jesus. It comes from an Old Testament prophecy. We've read it before. in acts concerning the New Covenant where the prophet said, In those days, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's about the New Covenant. He's telling him to trust in Jesus. Now, this verse... This verse is often used to say that, you know, baptism is what cleanses us from sin, what washes away our sin. I'll spare you the, the Greek grammar lesson about participial syntax if you want. Come see me afterward. There, there are two imperatives, two participles. Washing away of sin here is connected with the calling on his name. So there's two imperatives, two participles. So he's saying, rise, be baptized, Wash away your sin, some of your translations may say, washing away your sin by calling upon His name. So what Paul is testifying to the Jews here in this temple court is nothing less than his testimony. It's the power of Jesus Christ to change hearts, even of the most zealous of persecutors. Through Paul's defense so far, Paul's demonstrated in several ways that the gospel is not opposed to Israel or the law of God or any of those things, not, not opposed to the God uh, of the fathers or the promises of the covenant. It's just the opposite. Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. But he's also showing the radical change that Jesus accomplishes in the hearts of those that he saves. And by this testimony, this zealous Jewish persecutor of Christians being brought to faith in Christ, speaking these things in front of this mob, there's an invitation for this mob of zealous Jewish persecutors who tried to kill Paul to do likewise. Paul's testimony shows these Jews that had just tried to persecute him, Jesus can save you too. Regardless of the past, regardless of who you were, Jesus changes lives. And finally, He shows them His life following Christ. He says, we haven't read these verses yet, He says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Once again... Paul shows himself a loyal and a pious Jew, even coming to the temple to pray after his conversion. It's about three years after, actually. Paul says, listen, it was in the Jewish temple that Jesus appeared to me. The crowd that he's standing before, they could turn around and look at it. You see that temple over there? The one that you're accusing me of defiling? Jesus, the God of the temple, came to me there, appeared before me there, and the God of Israel, the God of our fathers, told me to leave Jerusalem. He told me that you wouldn't accept my testimony. But when he told me that, Paul might say, listen, I loved my kinsmen. Paul loved Israel. Paul loved his nation. Paul loved them so much that when Jesus told him this in the temple... Paul argued with him. He said, God said to him, leave, they're not going to listen to you. And I said, verse 19, this is Paul, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You see what Paul did right there? God told him, listen, get out of Jerusalem. They're not going to listen to you. I'm sending you away. Get out of Jerusalem. And Paul says, yeah, they will. Just give me a chance. They'll listen to me. I'm the perfect candidate. I used to, I used to persecute all of them. I used to imprison the Christians. I was there when Stephen was killed. I was given my approval when, when he was killed. They know me. They know my reputation. They know me as a persecutor. They will believe me because I'm just like they are. Paul longed to stay in Jerusalem and be a witness there because he loved the Jews. In fact, in Romans 9 verse 3 Paul says, look, I wish I myself would be accursed and cut off from Christ so that the Jews would be saved. He wants to stay there for the sake of Israel. But the Lord himself, in verse 21, the Lord himself says, no, you're going to go because I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Paul is telling this crowd here, it wasn't my idea to go to the Gentiles. Remember, they're accusing him of going off to the Gentiles and teaching all the things against the law and against the temple Paul's saying, it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my idea to go invite the Gentiles into the covenant of God. That was God's idea. That was the God of Israel who sent me out there. The Lord Himself at the very temple of Israel commissioned me to go to the Gentiles and invite them into the kingdom of God. Even when I objected. Paul's testimony is that the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, the righteous one of Israel Himself, brought all this about sent him on his mission. Now the crowd might ask, you know, but wait a minute, Paul, if, if you love Israel so much and you objected and wanted to stay when God told you to go, why did you go anyway? Well, that's an easy one. Because his heart had been transformed by the gospel, so now his greatest desire is to walk in obedience to Christ. I don't want to go to the Gentiles. I want to stay here in Jerusalem. And I think, in my own opinion, they'll listen to me because I've got all of this this resume of persecution. on my. I want to go. But if God, Jesus Christ, tells me to go, following Him is more important than what I want. Paul said, basically, okay. And Paul went. His new heart now longed to love and serve Christ. That's what a transformed heart looks like. It isn't a life that's completely and totally, perfectly without sin. It's one that is following Jesus and His will. Just as we read in 1 Peter 3.15, Paul had set the Lord Jesus apart in his heart as holy. And now he had given his defense of the hope that lies within him. And just as we read in 1 Peter at the beginning... Paul says, and Peter said that every believer must do the same. Set the Lord apart as holy in your heart and be prepared to give a defense. Do you know what you'll say when the time comes for you to give a witness? You have a story. I mean, it's different than my story, it's different than Paul's story, but you have a story. And if you've been born again, you, you're a new creature. You're not the same person that you used to be. There was a time, no matter if you were steeped in utter and, and inexplicable wickedness, or whether you grew up in you know, just being good and doing good, and you don't have that much really bad that you can look back on as far as what the world would see as bad. doesn't matter what background you come from. There was a time in your life before Christ when you were dead in your sin. And then there was an encounter with Jesus Christ through the gospel, where the Spirit of the living God by the gospel came through by grace through faith into your heart and changed you. And if you have been saved, there was a transformation when your heart was changed to follow after Jesus. No one, no one is indwelt with the Spirit of the omnipotent, eternal God without being changed. These things are true for every believer, every witness. They're the foundation of your testimony. God has placed you here to be a witness. We tell the truth of the gospel. This is how God saves people. The death, burial, resurrection. And then we tell what has happened in our life. How we come to know. This is what Paul is basically doing here. God has placed you here. God has placed you where you are to be His witness. And you have a story. You have one. But you might say, you know, people won't listen to me. For whatever reason, you know, I don't speak well, I don't I'm shy, I don't, you know, lots and lots of reasons. People don't th- I'm not saying they're excuses. Either. Those are those are reasons. Those are really good reasons, and I understand the, you know, it, it it it's hard. It's hard. I don't think people will listen to me and every time I try, when I when I do stretch out there and I try to 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 witness for Christ or talk about the gospel, I always just get rejected or they reject Jesus or they just remain indifferent to the whole thing. Maybe I've got family members I've tried two or three times and they just don't want to hear it no more. It's just rejection, rejection, rejection. And it leads us to say, uh, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Nobody's going to listen to me. You know what? You may be right. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. The results are not up to you. Only the Spirit of God can change a heart. Some of you might have cheated if you got your Bible open. The next verse is verse 22. You know what happens? Paul gets rejected. They don't all bow down and say, oh, Paul, you're right. Let us pray to the Lord. No, they try to kill him again. When they hear the word Gentile, that's too much to take. And they turn into a crazy mob again. And he ends up getting hauled off again by the Romans, almost beaten. And then when the Romans find out he's a, a Roman citizen, they take him back to the... The, the Jewish Sanhedrin and then arguments flare up in there and all of this is just negative, negative, negative nobody as far as we know in the text comes and says oh Paul I want to be a Christian they all reject him and it all causes chaos and it's just turmoil everywhere but you know what happens in verse 11 of chapter 23 when we get there in 8 years did that boy say amen from the hallway Paul is rejected, 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 rejected. And then in verse 11 of chapter 3, which we'll get there next week, Jesus comes and stands beside him and says, don't worry, I've got a purpose. This is all going according to plan. You're going to Rome. There is a purpose in it. Even when it's rejected, rejected, rejected. Yeah, they may not listen to you, but that's not up to you. We're instruments in the hand of our Father, and He is using us. And all He tells us to do is be faithful. You don't have to be smart, you don't have to be articulate, you don't have to be uh, persuasive, you don't have to be good at argument. All you have to do is be faithful and speak. That's it. But even when when our witness is rejected, you know, if that truth is embedded in us, that it's not up to me, all I'm called to do is be faithful, I'm not called to be successful, we can still rejoice when we're rejected because we've been faithful. Our call is to be Jesus' witnesses for His glory. Are you prepared to make a defense? That first verse we looked at, and we'll go here in just a couple of minutes. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Set Him apart. That's what Paul had done. Whatever Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do. Even though I, I want to stay, He's telling me to go, I'm going. He set the Lord apart, Lord of His life. Holy in his life. And then he says, always be prepared to make a defense. Now, make sure you look at the actual words in the verse. Look at your own Bible if you don't believe me on screen. To anyone who asks you. Do you see that? When you honor Christ the Lord as holy, you will live differently. You will look differently. You will have a hope that other people don't understand You will will be a different person living a different life and people will see that hope in you and they will ask for a reason for that hope. And he says, you be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for that hope that lies with you. Do people see that hope in you? Are you you like Paul having set Jesus as holy in your heart? You're not perfect, you're not sinless, but you're walking after him, you're striving after him. And it's obvious to those around you. Or are you like the crowd that's in the temple court? These these Jews, they, they weren't bad people. They were zealous for God. Paul said so. They were very religious. They were in the temple to pray to God. But they weren't born again in Jesus Christ. And Ananias told Paul, what are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized. washing away your sin by calling upon His name. Do that today. And let's be ready to make a defense. That's what Acts is all about. The witness of the church to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do love You. We thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for this testimony, this defense of the Apostle Paul. Thank You for inspiring Luke as he wrote it. God, we, we thank You for Your Word. God, we pray that You would help us to be who you've called us to be not as perfect people not as sinless people but just as faithful witnesses God we, we can't do that on our own we don't have the strength for it, we don't have the intelligence for it we don't have the fortitude or the determination or the commitment for it, we don't have any of that stuff, all we have is you so God we pray that you that you would give us the heart to be faithful. That's it. Help us to be faithful when everything, everyone rejects it. Help us to be faithful when we're laughed at, when we're demeaned. Help us to be faithful when we know we have to bring it up again around the family dinner table when we've been rejected five times already and they don't want to hear it anymore. Help us just to be faithful. And help us to do it with gentleness and respect not to bludgeon people with it. God, we pray that you would just help us to be the witnesses that you've called us to be, that we've been reading about in the book of Acts as your mission goes forward. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, they they might be very zealous for you, might believe all the right things about you, might be very, very religious, very good morally as a person, God, but they've never trusted in Christ, never given their heart and life to you. God, I pray that you would reach out to them, that you would draw them to yourself today, and that you would save them, that you would show them the cross, the death, the resurrection of your Son as the only means by which they can come to you. a holy God, just and perfect in righteousness. God, and I pray that they would call out upon your name. And that they would trust that Jesus died for them, paid for their sin, and receive the forgiveness of salvation, God. We do thank you, and we do love you. In Jesus' name we pray. As always, I'm going to stand right down here. If you want to come, please do so. Will you stand?